0: and welcome back to another episode of The Unknown. This is episode three, which is very exciting, and I hope that you have enjoyed the previous episode so far, and I hope you continue to keep tuning in. I just wanted to point out that I am so glad that it is finally fall. I love the fall time. I love the cooler weather, and I'm currently in Virginia, and it has been hot. And last week, we finally had some days that were in the, like, high 50s, low mid 60s, and it was just such a refresher. I've been drinking pumpkin spice lattes like they're going out of town. My whole entire apartment is decorated. I am already ready for Halloween with my costume. Like I am so excited. So that is one positive that it is finally fall and it's finally spooky season. So that's that's awesome. Uh, A little trigger warning before we get into today's episode. It is about a child and it is about very gruesome, um, horrible things done to a child so if that's something that you're not comfortable listening to no worries you don't have to tune in uh we'll we'll see you next week with a different case that is not on this but i just wanted to offer that trigger warning to everyone so let's get into it so this case is the case of the boy in the box and so this case starts and takes place in february 1957 in philadelphia pennsylvania a muskrat hunter was checking his traps In a park near Philadelphia, and as he was moving through the brush to try and find his traps to see if he had caught anything, he came across a small cardboard box. And inside that small cardboard box was a naked boy wrapped in a plaid blanket. Well, the hunter, he was afraid that if he called the police that they would ask him why he was out there and that they would take his traps, so he just left the box. And so this is where things get a little crazy. So days later... A college student was driving down that exact same road, and he was on his way to go to a girl's Catholic residence that was near there, where he was going to peep and spy on the girls inside. And he came across the box while he was going through the brush, and he didn't want to report it because he didn't want people to know where he was going and what he was doing. And so he had gone to confession, and he told a priest about what he had seen and what he had come across and the priest had told him that you have to call and tell the police. So that student, he was a student at LaSalle University, I believe, and he went and called the police, but he told them a lie. He told the police that he had been driving and saw a bunny, and he knew that there were traps around there so that he wanted to check and see if the bunny was okay. And as he was doing that, he saw the box in the underbrush. So that's kind of the story on how The boy was discovered. So technically two people discovered him, but only one reported him. And when he reported, he told a lie. So let's get into the specifics about the boy. So after the police's uh, investigation, the boy looked between the age of three and seven, but they could not be specific. That was just the range that they had given. He was 41 inches tall and he weighed 30 pounds, which they said he was extremely malnourished. He was extremely scrawny and very, very dirty. On top of that, his hair was matted, but it had seemed like it had been recently cut because there were clumps of the hair clung to his body, which is something that will come back later, so remember that. On top of this, which this is just absolutely horrible, his body was covered in surgical scars. The notable areas were on his ankle, and the scar looked like what had been from a blood transfusion, his groin, which it looked to be from hernia surgery, and on his chin. Those were the notable ones, but there were a lot more on top of that as well. He had looked like he had been abandoned, but they still fingerprinted him in hopes that they could find a match, but they found no match. And on top of all of this, um, another clue that gave them something to look into was he was circumcised, but he didn't have any vaccination marks on him, which means that he couldn't have been enrolled in school. Which is odd because for a boy estimated between the ages of three and seven, you would think that that child would attend school and at the time, vaccinations were required. They determined that the boy's death was by savage beating. And so that's a lot to take in, obviously. That is many horrible things done to this child. And uh, so this is when the police start their investigation and they're like, okay, obviously this is a very heinous crime, but who is this boy? And they feared that because he was in such bad condition, you know, what family is looking for a deceased child, right? They're, they're always looking for an alive child, but, but this child was extremely malnourished and had gone through so much. So the police were afraid that there wasn't someone looking for him. So over the next few years, there were over 400,000 flyers sent out in Philadelphia and the surrounding cities. They included flyers, like, in gas bill envelopes. Like, you just get your gas bill and you open it up, and it's like, do you know this child? Do you know any information on this? And the photo that they included, they um, did a forensic facial reconstruction of the boy, and that's what they used as the photo to see if people recognized, because obviously when they found the boy, you could not have used that photo. That was way too graphic. And obviously when it came to the crime scene, they searched all over the place, but the only things that they found were basically the children, the child's clothing. And they tried to take DNA from it, but it just led nowhere. And on top of that, they also found a blue cap, which we'll get into a little bit later. So obviously, this case is still unsolved. And there are so many different theories. Okay, so we're going to dive into a couple of those theories. So the first theory is in 1960, an employee of the medical examiner's office who it was not stated whether this person worked on Uh, this boy's case or not but for some reason he was told from a psychic that the boy came from a foster home and so the police obviously have no leads so they're going to take anything that they can get so they look into this and they inquire about it and they go to the foster home and they find similar blankets to the one that the boy was wrapped in as well as the the bassinet that he was uh the box so the box that he was found in was for a bassinet and this foster home had the same bassinets at it. So, and the employee, he was theorizing that the boy, the boy was born to the daughter of the man who ran the foster home and that this boy's uh, death was an accident. The employee was very, very persistent and he, they believed that this was exactly what happened. But the police looked into it and everything checked out and there was no connection ever made. So this is very close to when the case first occurred. Now, 40 years later, another theory comes out. This woman, she only identified herself as M. She remained remained anonymous. She came forward and she said that the boy was purchased by her abusive mother and was abused for years in the home. She claimed that the boy had vomited up his dinner, which was baked beans, and the mother bashed his head into the wall as punishment and that she tried to give him a bath, and when she did, he died. So the police followed this, of course, and they found beans in the boy's stomach. And his fingers did appear to be water-wrinkled. So this would check out what this girl's saying about how he ate the baked beans for dinner and threw them up. So that's why he got hit. And then when he uh, died in the bath, this checks out with the hands and his fingers being water-wrinkled. And what's interesting about this theory is that those two pieces of information were not shared with the public. They tried to keep a lot close to their hand to make sure that people weren't just coming forward and offering up phony information. And on top of this, this girl said that he used to have long hair. And that fit the incident where I told you to remember that his hair looked like it had just been cut and that the clumps of hair were still on his body. So this checks out with that as well. And on top of it, they had an old testimony from a man that matched this description of the boy having long hair because this man said he saw the boy being placed in the box. However, I couldn't find much information on this, um, but I just thought that that would be worth noting. But however, the police couldn't verify this, this person M, her claims, because she had a severe history of mental illness. And neighbors and friends could not corroborate the story. They said that they had never seen a child in that house. So back to that man's cap. So there was a man's cap found at the crime scene. And it was royal blue corduroy hat with leather strap and a buckle. So the police ran with this cap. And so they tracked it down and traced it back to Robin's Eagle Hat and Cap Company in Philadelphia. And they found out that this hat was one of 12 made. So there were only 12 of this hat made. The owner had told them that the purchaser was a blonde man in his late 20s and that he had came back to have the strap sewn on to the cap. So the cap was very plain when it was bought, but the purchaser had came back. And the owner said that the man resembled the boy in the photos because remember, the photo of the boy that they were showing to everyone was the facial reconstruction one. And the owner had said that it is possible that those two people could have been related because they did kind of look specific. Another thing that the police really tried to focus on was the box that the boy was found in. Remember, it was a box for a bassinet. And so they tracked down this bassinet, and it was tracked down to a store in Upper Darby, PA. They had found that this store had only received a dozen of these bassinets to sell, and they received them on November 27, 1956. But they weren't put up in the stores for sale until December 3rd, and they were in the store from December 3rd to February 16th. The bassinet was sold for $7.50. Now, of course, back in this time, there weren't really a lot of records that stores kept, so they had no record of who bought the bassinet. However, the police were successful in finding the other 11 bassinets, so this means that whoever purchased this bassinet, it could not be found because the box was used, but they couldn't locate the bassinet and they couldn't locate uh, the box as well. So obviously in the upcoming years, they kept trying to figure out more information about the boy. And one of the things that they really focused on was using things from the boy like his DNA to find things. And so they actually, what they had done is put an ultra li- ultraviolet light on him and it exposed in his left eye a bright shade of blue. And so this would have meant that he had recent exposure to a dye at the time of death, and this would probably most likely be used to treat a chronic eye disease. And if, upon further investigation as well, they surmised that possibly the head, that his head could have been squeezed during his haircut, and that would have been what killed him. On top of all of this, they constantly kept Exhuming his body for DNA in November 4th, 1998 They exhumed his body and then a year later. They admitted that they were actually not able to extract any DNA Again in 2000 they tried again, but this time from his teeth They still failed however in 2001. They finally had a successful attempt But nothing came from it unfortunately so This is a little more up-to-date information on this case, because to this day, people are still trying to solve it. And so in 1999, a man named Frank Bender, who founded the Vidcock Society, which was a society trying to figure out crimes, he sculpted a bust to resemble the father, and this case then was actually profiled on America's Most Wanted on TV, but again, nothing came from it. And as the latest, in April 2019, the boy's body was exhumed again, and they did in fact extract DNA, and it has been sent to Europe. And this was according to CBS Philadelphia. But since then, no new information has been found, and they haven't been able to make any more comments. But as we can see still to this day, that they are still trying to figure out what happened to this boy. Um, It's definitely a very sad case. Uh, and it's it's very weird how there was no footprint left. There was nothing left at the crime scene. There was nothing that they could get from the boy himself. Uh, so whoever did this really covered up their tracks really well. Uh, but that is the case of The Boy in the Box. I really hope that you enjoyed. Um, I really hope that you tune in next week. Uh, to give you a little bit of what's to come for next week's episode... Let's just say that it has something to do with supernatural. That's all I'm going to give you. You're going to have to tune in next week to find out. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening today. And until next time, I'm Peyton, your host. And this has been The Unknown.